You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. I'm Simone, and I'm Nicoletta's friend who likes to talk about fucking, and I'm also a law student. And this week, we have joining us Nadia Bakadi. She is an Australian sex-positive journalist. She's the editor of the women's website, shesaid.com. She's a mental health advocate and an Instagram sexfluencer who has dedicated her career to helping destroy the stigma around sex and empowering women in their sexuality. Her work has been published in Washington Post, HuffPo, Thought Catalog, and Cosmo, and she's a regular face on Australian TV and radio, where she shares her often controversial opinions on sex and relationships. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're super lucky also because Nadia's in studio with me, sorry, Simone, um, while she's here from Australia. So thank you so much for coming in. Um, I feel like we use the word sex positivity a lot on the podcast, but I don't know if we've ever given like a good definition. Um, What do you think being sex positive is? Yeah, it's really interesting because a lot of people ask me too, they say, well, what does it mean to be sex positive? And I think it just means exactly, you know, as it says, it's being positive about sex, taking away the stigma and the shame and the negativity that surrounds sex because sex is, you know, it's a topic that we've been taught not to speak out about out loud And uh, the problem with that is because we don't talk about it, um, well, young men and young women, but women in particular are running into a lot of issues. And I think that's why, you know, we've got the Me Too movement happening at the moment because, uh, you know, we don't talk about sex, what sex is even really supposed to feel like. I mean, in school, we learn a little bit about sexual pleasure for boys. We learn about you know, guys having boners and, um, you know, wet dreams, but girls really learn about, you know, periods and unwanted pregnancy. So um, there's a a cool um, TED talk by Peggy Orenstein and she talks Ugh. about, I love her, she's awesome. Peggy, if you're listening, come, 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 <laughs> like both in your personal life and on the podcast. Um, and yeah, she talks about the fact that 30% of young women are in pain while they're having sex. And A big reason for it is because women don't know what sex is even, pleasure is even supposed to feel like. And we actually basically almost demonise women's sexual pleasure as a society. And that's why there are women now with the Me Too movement, you know, five, ten or more years on going, wow, that experience I had all those years ago, now that I actually really think about it, that was actually quite, you know, rapey or inappropriate or that was assault. But when Hmm. when you haven't been taught what pleasure is supposed to feel like, and like your body is something that you give to someone else, um, then it's not Mm. really shocking that women are getting into these situations. And so long story short, I think the sex positive movement is about breaking down that stigma so we can start having these conversations so that um, young women and, you know, women of all ages aren't getting into these situations where they don't even know what, um, you know, healthy, normal sex is supposed to feel like. 
Yeah. And I mean, of course, it's so subjective what is healthy and normal, but I feel like the the bar is set so low where it's just like neutral sex or Absolutely. sex that doesn't hurt or even, even maybe not even sex that doesn't hurt because so many people experience painful sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were actually, um, Simone sent me a great article that you wrote recently about sex and pain having to do with like partner partner rape, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we should talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, well, I wrote a story. It was actually, it, it was quite popular. Uh, I actually wrote it a couple of years ago and re, re-promoted it on the website mm. recently because it's been so popular. But I think it's been popular because it resonated with so many women and it was called When Yes Means No, How I Let My Boyfriend Rape Me. And I talk about the more subtle forms of um, rape or, I mean, it's it's what... it. It depends what terminology you want to use around it, but the main thing that I was trying to get across is the fact that I, as a young woman, didn't truly understand how consent worked. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I don't think, as a young man, my partner at the time did either. Oh, gee, I wonder if it's because it's something that should be taught and we're just expected to understand. (laughs) Absolutely, (laughs) right? I wonder if telling people about consent could help people avoid a young age fucking situation. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) So it's such a. It seems like such a simple thing. Like, of course, we know what yes and no mean. But actually the problem is, is that, you know, we have all these different definitions of, you know, oh, but once a woman's naked or once she's in a relationship or, you know, all these things, then that is just a form of consent. And so, you know, I got into a relationship when I was in my early 20s and um, the sex was was consistently painful. And um, because I was quite embarrassed about my body, I used to just go to the doctor and ask for... Um, medication thinking that I had like a yeast infection. And during, were you able to tell uh, that partner that you were in pain or no. did you just kind of like grin and bear it? I grinned and, and bared it and I just assumed that that oh. was what sex was supposed to feel like. Um, I didn't oh. really have a lot to compare it to. I'd had, you know, one or two sexual experiences before that, but I was quite young. Um, and, you know, I was in a relationship, so I felt, you know, this is what you do in a relationship. Yeah. And I think that's what so many women think. And, yeah, so in the end, um, someone finally actually examined me and looked at me and just stopped, you know, prescribing me medication because they realised I'd been coming back for medication over and over again with no luck. And they they couldn't find anything wrong with me and they said, it's potentially your arousal levels because, you know, if you're not lubricated and you're having sex, there's going to be a huge amount of friction. That's going to be really painful for you. And it was really only, you know, years later when I reflected back on it, I realised that, you know, at the time I had said to my boyfriend, no, I don't feel like having sex. And, you know, then he'd been like, oh, come on, let's do it. And I would say, no, like now's not a good time. And we'd have well, this back Well, it can totally shut down like your arousal in general, right? Yeah. Because like your body is doing what it's supposed to be doing when it experiences pain. I like compare it to like if you've ever gotten food poisoning and then you're like, I'm never going to eat that shit again. Right. Um, So same thing with pain. Like if you experience it once, then your body is doing what it's supposed to do and being like, I'm going to avoid this thing. Yeah. So you do whatever you can to avoid it. Your body is shutting down. And I think that was what ended up happening. I think my body just started clamming up every time he wanted to have sex. And so what had started out as a healthy sexual relationship did become quite toxic. And I never vocalized to him during the process that I wasn't enjoying the sex because I had eventually given in and it would just be this negotiation where I'd say, no, 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 I don't want sex, I don't want sex. And then eventually he would just be, come on, come on, come on, you're my girlfriend, you have to give me sex. And eventually I'd just be like, okay, fine, let's just do it. 
and pretty much I just wait for it to be over. And so in my mind, not very enthusiastic. No, but then in my mind that was consent, right? Because I was like, well, I I said yes, and it wasn't until I started getting educated on this stuff that I realized. But I said no twenty times before that. Right. There's this. I read this incredible article about um, masculinity and fraternities in American universities, and how fraternities are actually trying to. Um, break away from this toxic masculinity that they're so known for, no pun intended, engendering. And um, there's there was this one frat that has this banner like in their party room that says, no does not mean convince me. I love that, yeah. Which I feel like is so revolutionary in a weir- weird way. And it's just put, it puts, it puts into such perspective, like if somebody says no and then they ultimately say yes, that is not, consent. I think the problem also is that we do actually teach men through pop culture, if you look at popular movies and TV. You have to pursue her. That you need to convince her. That's part of the thrill of it. And that's your reward that at the end you've finally broken her down. Like which seduction versus coercion. Yeah. But, and then also at the same time, as a woman, you're also encouraged to play that game of really wanting something, but you're not allowed to say, I want that because we're not allowed to be vocally sexual beings. So there are times where we're incapable of saying, I want to fuck you, and we have to pretend we don't want to, because if we do say, I want to fuck you, then we're labeled a slut, and then we don't get what we want. So there's this, like, there's this vicious, like, snake eating its own tail situation where we're, where there, if you can't own your sexuality, then you have to pretend that you don't want to fuck. And so then there's these mixed messages of pursuit. It's so fucked up. Yeah, it really is. And I think that's why that story was a Catwoman, the one that went um, quite viral in, it was the, either the New York Times, I think it was the New York Times. I don't know if I read that. Uh, it was a fictional story, but it went crazy. Oh, yeah, it, it Cat went people. crazy. Cat people. In the New Yorker. I think it was yeah, Cat and, People in the New Yorker. And uh, yeah, the, she had written a fictional story, but it was just so relatable because she talks about hooking up with this guy and how when she finally got back to his place and they started having sex, she realised, actually, I don't want this. But she's like, ugh, we've already done the kind of the courtship thing I'm and I'm here. here and I've started taking my clothes off. Like, I feel like I owe it to him to see this through. And you hear yeah. her monologue and you can just, as a, as a woman, uh, you know, you relate to that so much. I feel like nearly every woman has been in that situation where you're like, I'm here now, you know, it feels wrong to tell him no. Like, I've led him on if I turn around and say no. Um, And I love what Amber Rose, uh, you know, who founded the Slut Movement says, she's like, I don't care, like, a guy can have his dick inside me, but if I say no, that means he has to stop and take his dick out right away. I wonder (laughs) whose responsibility we think all of this is, because I wonder if you got any pushback from the title of that article that says, How I Let My Boyfriend Rape Me. Um, Because it brings in like a a victim blaming component, but it's also like the schools are responsible for not teaching. Parents are responsible for maybe not knowing. We're responsible for trying to figure out our own sexuality. Our partners should be responsible. Mm. Like, Like there's so many levels of responsibility. It seems difficult to figure out like, is there blame I, looking back on the situation, I wouldn't necessarily put blame on anyone. I mean, I, you know, my partner at the time was doing what, you know, he thought was normal Mm -hmm. and I was doing what I thought was normal. I think Mm -hmm. it goes back to the education. And if we don't talk about this stuff, 
Um, you know, a perfectly good example of this is I, I wrote an article which was quite controversial and I ended up doing a couple of TV segments on it and it was basically about why I think masturbation should be acknowledged in school sex ed. And uh, I did a Duh. segment on a, uh, a UK morning show called This Morning and I basically just explained my opinion as to why that should be and there was a huge Twitter storm and people were calling me a pedophile saying that I should be run over with someone's car. I was getting so much abuse. Wow. And they were saying, you know, we want to protect our children from this woman. You know, she's so sick. Like, why Why won't you just let children be children? And children being children is children touching themselves. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I said is I, I actually said, look, I, I am, if anything, I'm old fashioned. I would actually agree with you that my preference would be that children that haven't got the emotional and, and life intelligence and experience yet I would prefer that they're not having sex, but the reality is that they absolutely are. The research and the statistics shows that lots and lots and lots of teenagers are having sex, they're having unwanted pregnancies, they're getting STDs, and they're getting in very dicey situations where, um, you know, the women are making themselves vulnerable to something that they're probably going to look back on a few years later and say, that wasn't a situation I really wanted to be in. Why... Why was I in that situation? Or on just a, a, a more topical, I'm, actually this is not a topical level, but on another level they're not having maybe pleasurable sex. No. Because they haven't practiced and figured out their own body. Do you think, I, I wonder, I don't know if this is like part of your like intention, but one th a thought that I just had was if we teach people about masturbation and self-pleasure and there's that like super sad statistic about how one in five women don't masturbate, like I wonder if we talked more about masturbation, especially masturbation for people with vulvas, if teenage sexual activity would actually decrease because it'd be like, nah, that's not what feels good. I know what feels good. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, and that was that was how I basically advocated for it. I, You know, obviously it got sensationalized in the media. There was a lot of newspapers covering it after I did the TV segment and they basically made out like I was suggesting a porn star come into the classroom and give a live demonstration. I mean, Which I truly think that too. Nina Hartley is like yeah. the best person to teach this to children, but whatever. Right. That's a topic for another combo. Um, but yeah, you know, I was, I was actually suggesting quite a conservative approach at the time. And um, what I was saying is, look, I'm saying to include it when they're already learning sex ed. I'm not saying to do it any earlier. I'm saying you are literally already teaching children about a penis going into a vagina. Why would you not teach them about their own body? And You think it's religious reasons? Yeah, I mean, I guess probably, yeah, probably a lot of it stems from religion and just the way that people have been. I mean, we're becoming more liberal now, but, you know, older yeah. generations weren't raised in this way. So it's probably, you know, difficult for them to understand that, you know, the way a 13-year-old was, you know, 30 years ago is very different to the way a 13-year-old is today. We are mm -hmm. exposed to different things. We are living in a hypersexual culture where no matter how hard you try. access to technology. Yeah, you can't protect your kids from sex. Uh, it's, it's a great, you know, intention that you want to preserve their innocence. I don't see necessarily a problem with that, mm -hmm. but you're not going to be able to protect them from sex. So how should it be incorporated into the curriculum? Like, is it just a question of acknowledging? Like when we're talking about, so when a penis goes into a vagina, like that's sex with a partner, but there's also sex by yourself or just like acknowledging that you might be familiar with your body parts if you've touched yourself. Like how, how should it, like what would a curriculum look like that included masturbation? I, I, I would love to hear your thing. But when I first heard that, I was like, I would definitely want um, 
to have like an anatomy take home sheet and for them to assign like a self exam. <gasps> so like, you know, do That's take brilliant. a mirror, yep. see if you can find what's what and then come and talk about it. Cause most of the times when people first look at it, they think there's something wrong. I was a grown adult when I saw my vagina for the first time and Were I was horrified. Shocked? Yeah, horrified. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember it? What what made you see it? Oh, I I think I just saw it on accident. I was like <laughs> doing something. I might have been, you know, waxing or something, and then I was like, oh my God, that's my vagina. And <laughs> the thing is, because we don't get the instruction on it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because there's no discussion about it, I mean, we don't even say the word vagina out loud. We say hoo-ha and lady flower and whatever else. Not on this podcast. We're, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so we're looking to places basically like porn. And, again, like I'm personally very pro-porn. I use porn a lot in my own sex life. However, I do not support children accessing porn as their first learning point for sex because as an adult I can watch porn and I can understand that when I watch a Ryan Gosling movie, uh, you know, a Hollywood movie, I'm not going to go home and expect my boyfriend to be like Ryan Gosling. It I is know still that's disappointing not sometimes. <laughs> well, except actually for me, my boyfriend is Ryan Gosling. So, oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it would be okay, though, as long as there were context. Like yeah. if we were having this early sex ed, then at least it's like, okay, now I can see that this is fantasy and there's a discussion yeah, about it. Yeah, that's the problem. There's absolutely right, no contact text and kids are taking that literally. And so you've got teenagers who are having sex for the, the first time trying anal and trying BDSM and things that are preferable to try once you've just explored your own body and you've eased mm-hmm. in with some of the more foundational steps of sex. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not against you know, whatever anyone wants to do sexually. But I think as a child, you know, your first sexual experiences, you know, it's very intense to take from porn and take it quite literally. And, I, you know, a lot of young girls, when they question them about sex because they're taking it from porn, they say that, you know, a blowjob is like a handshake. They don't see it as an intimate exchange. They actually see kissing mm. as more intimate than giving a blowjob. Interesting. Going back to the masturbation thing and what should be included, I'm also thinking I've had quite a few clients that come in and are stuck or embarrassed with the way that they masturbate. So I think it'd be important to include like different ways of doing it. Yeah. There's that mm-hmm. great site, OMG Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. that like, you know, you can sign up for and it shows just how different women um, get off or different people with vulvas get off. And so I think that's yeah. important too because a lot of people learn from an early age that if they like lay on their hands on their stomach Mm. that they can climax that way and a lot of people are like well that's they feel weird weird about it when they're older and then they're like I can't orgasm with a partner because how do I do that at the same time I feel weird showing them how I do it so just Mm -hmm. I would love to see a component of like the diversity of yeah because we're taught that whole area is dirty and I know like my first experiences of masturbation were they were very conflicting because it was obviously pleasurable but I felt so dirty and ashamed afterward oh. because I thought you know that's you know it's it's not something that you know anyone talks about and you're like am, am I the only one that's doing this or other girls doing this yeah um but I was I, the one talking to all my friends about it for sure oh really I was oh yeah I like told everybody about the shower head that was like a big oh, like thing I wish I was I would, your like, friend in I school. like would like sit my friends down <laughs> you could be friends and now. I'd be like you need to do this but speaking of like masturbation and like different techniques and feeling comfortable with your masturbation technique, um, this I think is obviously not to be done with like young teenagers, but definitely I think as an 
adult, we still sometimes feel this like shame and stigma around masturbation. And one of the most liberating exercises that I ever did um, as it relates to masturbation is I participated in like a group masturbation where it was it, it was at an all uh, women identifying um, or gender nonconforming and women identifying festival. And uh, this woman led a not a masturbation workshop, but it was just like a, she called, it was called the group get off basically. And like 20 women like got together in this like massive tent and there were toys if you wanted. And we all like went in a circle and like shared something vulnerable about ourselves. And then we all went around again and like described how we masturbated. And then there were 15 minutes or 10 minutes where we all just masturbated. And it was just like, you did it. And, and then afterwards, if you wanted to like play with other people, you could. But like the first 10 or 15 minutes were just you masturbating and like other people masturbating next to you. And it was like a no judgment zone. And like people were like close to coming and like everyone was like cheering them on. And it was just, it was just so fucking incredible to I see the variety I love the idea of, of it, but I'm just trying to envision myself in that scenario. I think I would be so embarrassed. Yeah, oh and obviously God. this isn't something that would apply to um, teaching children in grade school. Yeah. But- no, obviously <laughs> I thought I prefaced that. If no, I didn't say that, I mean, then for sure. And, and, I, and over just, in uh, France, they uh, they do actually teach young women about the clitoris and they bought out a 3D model of the clitoris. Um, and, uh, you know, I think parents actually providing their young teenage daughters with vibrators um, in a really non-confronting way is another great way to do it. Um because it's sort of, you know, encouraging them to explore their own body in their own time. I guess the flip side of it is, um, you know, when there's shame around that, if kids aren't encouraged to masturbate, then they're still going to have, you know, hormones and whatnot. So their only other option is going to be partnered sex. And Mm -hmm. for me, it's concerning if you're having partnered sex before you even understand your own body. That's actually really concerning to me because it's sex isn't just, uh, you know, physical experience, there's emotional implications, there's all, all sorts of implications, as you guys know. But I had, uh, you know, I'm not obviously a sex doctor or therapist or anything. I just write very openly about sex. And because I do write very openly and honestly, I think people feel comfortable that they can tell me things. And so mm-hmm. I, I do have a lot of people email me with sex questions and whatnot. And I had a 17-year-old girl Uh, contact me and she said, um, you know, I just want to know if I'm a pervert. And, you know, I said to her, what would make you think that you're a pervert? And she said, well, while I wasn't home, my dad went into my room, you know, as parents sometimes can, and he had found her vibrator. And rather than discreetly putting it back and pretending like he'd never been there, he confiscated it and confronted her about it and shamed her for it and basically said, you're too young to be doing this. I'm taking this away from you. And what I said to her is, look, your dad probably at the end of the day, truly from the bottom of his heart, probably really believed he was protecting you. But unfortunately, what he's done is now put you in a situation where you were safely exploring your body in your own comfort, your own time, no pressure, no judgment. And now your opportunity for exploring sex is going to be to go and do it probably with other boys. And it also teaches you from a young age that your body is not yours. Yeah, You know, yes. like you're a dad or just a male figure is defining when it's okay and what age it's okay and how you can do it, which just like sets this narrative that like you don't get to make those decisions. Like somebody mm-hmm. else makes them for That's you. That's actually really profound. Like even as you're saying that, I'm just like so much of my life is flashing before my eyes because it's that 
you don't feel as a woman that your body is your own from this narrative that we're told. And then when you do go and have sex, whether it's casual sex or sex in a relationship, it does feel like a kind of, I know so much of my sex life when I was younger felt like a kind of service. It was something that I was giving in exchange like a for- performance. Yeah, in exchange for- Affection, Affection or whatever it was. Yeah. And it, I, I didn't even realise that sex could be something that I could have for myself till much later in life. Mm. And, yeah, I think that's why it's so important to talk about, you know, female pleasure and closing the orgasm gap because closing the orgasm gap, it sounds like such a superficial, you know, topic like the orgasm gap. But the thing is I feel like almost like that's where real equality starts, in the bedroom, right? Because that's <laughs> when we're at our most raw and vulnerable. And if... Women aren't orgasming. That's just, you know, more proof of the fact that we are putting our male partner's needs first. And, of course, we should be thinking about our partners but not to the level where we're sacrificing not only our own orgasm but just even our own comfort or enjoyment. I think you pointed out a good thing earlier too that it's not like in in coming up with some of these educational things, we're not reinventing the wheel. There's already other cultures and other countries that are incorporating it. Like I was, I went to Sundance uh, the other weekend and there was this awesome foreign short film uh, that was called Fuck You, which everyone should look up if they can. I don't know if you can have access to it yet, but it was the this group of teenagers and they stole a strap-on from the sex shop, um, which like, okay, whatever, supporting thievery. But like, whatever, <laughs> they stole a strap-on. And then by the end of it, the teenage boy that this girl is dating is sucking her strap on. Right. And it's like super yes! hot. I know. And it's so good. And it was like teen and it was interracial yep. and it was like so amazing. I was like scream, literally screaming in the theater from like excitement that this was featured. So yep. like it is changing on a global scale. It's just. It's very not, slow. And I think is in it general. the same in Australia? I think Australia, we, we're, we're even further backward. I think Australia, we're so laid back as a country, but we're still so conservative with sex. And, you know, I think toxic masculinity is very strong in Australia with the whole blokey culture. We say Australian blokes is like the real Like the bros. Typical, yeah, like a bro. Um, and I think things like what you're saying there, like the, the reference in the film where he was, uh, you know, sucking the, uh, the strap on, um, a lot of questions that I get from Australian men online are, am I gay if this? And they just want to know, I like watching porn where men are having sex. Does this mean I'm gay? I like having sex with men sometimes as well as women. Does this mean I'm gay? And I'm like, I, I, why? Like, why? I was like, first of all, I'm not the person to make that call. And second of all, it, you don't need to label it. And why are you feeling so pressured that if I do you know, A, B and C, that therefore makes me gay. And so men... And even if you were gay or a little bit gay, like... What does it even matter? Yeah. So I think that men probably in some ways also aren't given a lot of licence to explore their sexuality because it's, I guess, women having, you know, I've had sexual experiences with other women and I've never had anyone say, oh, well, that must make you a lesbian. People just go, oh, well, that's, you know, that's That's hot. hot. (laughs) Yeah, they usually say that's hot and they want, you know, more information about it. But (laughs) men, if a man is talking about a time that he has experimented with um, another man or even just with having his girlfriend use a strap on on him or whatever it is, we immediately feel the need that we must label that as he is gay. Um, And so it's almost like we need to move away from the labels altogether and then I think that would give everyone a lot more freedom to just 
explore their sexuality, you know, very much like was demonstrated in that film that you talked about and just, you know, I don't think we give, yeah, we don't give young people that chance and so we're, we're raising very repressed adults that don't really know what they want, you know. I watched a very... It's almost like, it's almost like they're, they're like compressed, right? Like they're given this like very specific yes. view of sexuality. Like it's what we see in like mainstream hardcore pornography. Yeah. Is like, which is like great. I, I'm a big fan of porn too. Like I don't think porn is a bad thing at all. But I think, you know, as as Jessica Drake said when she was on the podcast, like it's a movie, it's a fantasy. Like that is not what sex is. Like you don't ever see somebody grab a bottle of lube in porn. Like no. you don't see anybody like, spending three hours warming up before their dick, a dick goes in their asshole. Or taking like, taking a certain amount of minutes to orgasm. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really important for women because, you know, in porn, obviously, women basically have a screaming orgasm the second they're penetrated. And as adults, we can go, oh, that's hot and, and whatever because we know it's a fantasy, much like the same way that I don't think, you know, my boyfriend is going to be Ryan Gosling after I finish watching The Notebook. But, um, you know, women do still put this pressure on themselves. And I, I had another woman contact me who said she's only 21. She'd been in a relationship for two years and she's like, I've been obsessively, well, she didn't label it as obsessive, but it was very clear. She'd been very obsessively looking up pills and whatnot online because she was convinced that her ability to orgasm was broken. And I mm. said, well, first of all, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I would just say you've been in a relationship for two years. So you probably need to give yourself a little bit longer because it's not all hot passion the whole right, time. Right, then it takes longer. But second of all, I said to her, do you know that most women take, on average, you know, around 20 minutes to reach orgasm when they're with a partner? And she was absolutely shocked. She was like, no, I thought that, that there was something wrong with me. And I'm like, oh. is your boyfriend even doing foreplay? And she was like, no, we just go straight to sex. I was like, oh. if anyone's needing to do anything more in this situation, it's your boyfriend. Stop looking up the pills, hon, and just get your boyfriend to just spend change some more your boyfriend. time. <laughs> yeah. That 20 minute thing. Can we just talk about that 20 minute thing for a sec? Like, I know that. Like, I'm like a pretty, like, sex positive, sexually woke person. And I know about the 20 minute thing. But even so, it's like, I feel bad. Yeah, well, you're like, oh, really no, he's, like, waiting for me. Why haven't I come yet? Is Not he even, like, bored? why haven't I come? Like, I know it's going to take a while. And, like, I have had, like, an abundance of, like, wonderfully assiduous partners who are, like, extremely focused on my pleasure. And, like, I don't feel necessarily, like, stressed about my orgasm. But, like, I have noticed in, like, my last few sexual experiences, I've been, like, checking in. How you doing? How you doing? Which, like, <laughs> literally said like that. And, like, yeah. I don't know if that... Like, I don't know what that means. Am I like, are they getting too tired? Like, do Well, they I think it does stem like, from that thing as women that we serve other people, you know, we're givers and we're like, oh, this is becoming a bit too much about me. Like, I, when I, even now having sex with my own boyfriend, I do say to him, like, are you getting bored? Is this going on for too long? Like, if you want to come, you can just come. And he's like, no, like, I, just just relax and, and, you know, just enjoy it, um, mm. you know. And the, I think there's there's because there's the two two sides of the coin. You've got the guys that just get in there and jackham, jackhammer and try to be like a porn star with absolutely no foreplay or anything. Um, but then you also have the guys who, and then of course it's going to take a long time because you maybe weren't aroused to begin with. Yeah, you're probably. I don't very even think I could come if that happened. Yeah, and then you've got the guys who, like you say, they're really trying, but then it almost puts a, a different type of pressure on you because I've had 
you know, really um, great partners in the past who said like, I really want you to come. I just, this is all about you. I just want you to come. And I thought, God, if I don't come now, he's going to think that he's got something wrong. Oh, I don't want to make him feel bad. Like I've really got to try and come now. So it's oh like God, our obligation to affirm that they are good lovers. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. it's still not about, it's still no longer it's about you. It's still not about you. But all of these bring me back to, you know, other conversations that we've had on the podcast just about being goal-oriented. Mm-hmm. And like, how much are we missing out on in that interim time when we're checking in and being like, oh, are you still doing okay? Is this taking too long? When we could just be really in it and, and enjoying ourselves. So about yeah. being pleasure focused, not goal focused. Yeah. 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 Because I think we focus like as a culture, sex is all about the orgasm. It's about the end point. And that's why, you know, in, in porn, we do see it straight to basically, you know, penis and vagina. And that's how we think of sex. But if you actually think about, you know, where we are today in the world, it doesn't make any sense because we obviously embrace the fact that there's all different types of, you know, sexual and gender identity. And to to say that, you know, having a penis in a vagina and then ejaculating that that sex will, you're obviously already closing out a lot of different groups of people that maybe aren't having sex with a penis. Um, And I think we should look at sex more as just being two people enjoying one another and pleasuring one another and whatever Mm -hmm. comes of that is still, I think people see it as a failure. That's, I mean, like I say, I'm, I'm very open about the fact that I'm not a doctor of sexology, but so many people come to me and say, my sex life is broken because I don't come or my partner doesn't come. And I'm like, why is that the definition of a fulfilling sex life? Like it is really nice to orgasm, don't get me wrong, but why does your partner have to have an erection the whole time? Or why do you both have to orgasm? Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think like sex can still be like a healthy, enjoyable, pleasurable experience or? Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely say that there's some hypocrisy in the what I preach and what I practice because I do think that even when I'm trying to be pleasure-centered, at the end of it, I still, like, want an orgasm. (laughs) Um, But that's not true if I'm, like, just um, doing something, like, for somebody else. Then I don't always always feel like I'm in the mood or that I need it. So in that way, it's okay. And there's also other things that I enjoy that don't require orgasm at all, like kink and BDSM, which can feel fulfilling without any, you know, genital stimulation. Um, so I think so, but I, I I am still affected by the narrative and the goal-orientedness of mm. it or like feeling mm. sexually frustrated and it's hard to know if it's just a body desire or if it's just so ingrained um, in my head that it's supposed yeah. to go there. It's probably a bit of both, I would yeah, say. Yeah, probably both, but yeah. you've said it. it's I interesting. Feel- oh, go ahead, Simone. No, it was just to, to respond to that. Like I, I actually do feel, especially since um, starting this podcast now, nearing on two years ago, year and a half. Um, I do think that I've really have released the idea of orgasm as key to sex. I've had many, many extraordinarily pleasurable sexual experiences in the last year that did not have an orgasm for me. Um, and so that's been really rewarding because it's because if I want an orgasm, if like orgasm is my goal, like I can do that. Like that's something that I can do by myself. Like I don't need anybody else. But, like, if I want to get 
fucked or if I want to have my like hair stroked or if I want to, you know, have someone play with my, that's not stuff that I can do on my own. And so when I'm thinking about like those sensations and things that are like feeling good, like that's what I have partnered sex for, not necessarily an orgasm. Orgasms are nice, but I definitely think I release that. And I really agree with what you said, Nicoletta, about like maybe like kink practices that are not associated with genitals that you still like derive like great, great pleasure from. Or, like, I don't know, eating something really good. Like, I don't come Massages, when I eat, yeah. like, something fucking delicious. I don't, I don't know. I've seen you get pretty excited about foods. So. <laughs> I get really excited, right? But I wouldn't say I have a literal food orgasm. I just have great pleasure that I derive from the experience. Maybe a mouthgasm. Yeah, mouthgasm. <laughs> it's nonetheless super fucking enjoyable. And, yeah. like, the top— I mean, I think if, you've ever, if I were to, like, make a list of, like, top sexual experiences, there would definitely be some in there that did not have an orgasm for sure. I think just to hone in one more time on the 20-minute thing, I think it's important for everyone to know. Um, Not that, like, if you, you know, get aroused sooner that it's bad or that you're, like, easy or anything like that, or if it takes longer that there's something wrong with you, but just because I think a lot of folks will come into my office and say, like, oh, yeah, well, we're doing foreplay, and I'm like, well, how much? And it's, like, like five minutes or less. And so Also, don't call it foreplay! Yeah, you're right. So what's wrong with calling it foreplay? Well, if you're calling it foreplay, you're implying that it's something that you do before you get to the main event. And so you're implying right. that penetration is gotcha. the purpose of your sexual encounter. And it kind of feeds into penetration as the ultimate sex act and that anything that's not penetration is foreplay. And so, What do we example, decide to call it instead? Just sex stuff. Sex stuff. I, call doing, I say doing I sex that. stuff. I love that. Like, if I do sex stuff with, or having sexy time, like, yeah. it does, and, and I don't even specify, like, when I talk to friends about sexual experiences, I'll say, oh, yeah, I fucked this person, I had sex with the person. And I don't, even if I didn't have penetration, like, I'll still use that language because to me, I had sex with them. And, right. like, Dr. Lori Mintz says something amazing about, like, why not to call it foreplay? Because if you think about it, like, what if, like, the, a, a clitoral orgasm or, or, or clitoral stimulation were, like, the main act. And, like, once you had enough clitoral stimulation, okay, then you would move on to, like, penetration. And that, so, like, sex was called clitoral stimulation, and then penetration would be called post-play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is, though, for real. <laughs> so it, th- that's why, like, the words we use are, like, so important for defining, like, what sex is. Anyway, carry on with what you were saying about You're right. No, th- thank you for the reminder. I think we're obviously, we're all still learning on this podcast Um, But I'm saying I think people think that they're doing sex play before penetration and they're like, oh, well, we're doing that. But it's like five minutes Mm. and like not a lot happens in the five minutes. So just like reminding partners about the patients and that like five minutes is really not that long. (laughs) And it's good. I think because we go through the motions as well. And I think, again, particularly as women, we have been almost like conditioned to sort of go through the motions and like I just kissing and then breast touching and yeah, then hand stuff exactly, and then but oral and you're then not penetration. In the moment. And yeah, then you're, you're done. just like kiss and then suck my breasts or whatever it is. <laughs> and um, I just remember when I was learning to drive, I, I've now, uh, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I do not have a license. I'm not a safe person to drive. I've, I've totally resolved, you know, with that, that I'm not going to be a driver. And I live in the city, so I don't really have a need to drive. But when I was learning to drive and probably starting to realise that I was a terrible driver, um, my my mum would always tell me to check my blind spot. And do you call, guys call it that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you'd, she'd say check your blind spot. 
And, and I'd say, what was that? And she'd say, well, you just look over your shoulder. And so every time she say it, I would look over my shoulder, but I wasn't looking. I was literally doing the head motion of turning mm. my head. And one time I did, she said, oh my God, you're going to hit another car. Didn't you check your blind spot? And I was like, yeah, but I was doing it like a, a dance move in a co- composition. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't yeah. physically looking with my eyes. I was like, so now I turn my Very, head. like disembodied. And I think that's actually what we're doing with sex. And it's like, oh yeah, but I did the kissing and I did the bit where, you know, he was sucking my nipples or whatever, but it's like, you're just painting by numbers. You're not actually being in your body mm. sort of. And I think that is like a cultural conditioning, would you say? Like, Definitely. Yeah. Like it's, you know, supposed to look a certain way and have yes. a, a certain trajectory. Well, yeah, and even in like the base terminology, like first base, second base, they're, they're impl- it does imply a sequence of events. Um, but I know for me, like I like, like I would rather have oral first and then get fingered. Interesting. Then yeah, I'm just, I'd like, agree with that, yeah. Because then I'm like dying for something inside me. Yeah, it's the anticipation of it. I yeah, agree. Yeah. If, I'd rather have like over the clothes, over the pants, like kissing yeah. for a long time. Oh did, yeah, that's just did you so guys nice. hear? Um, apparently, there was some research done. I, I read this somewhere on the internet, so it, it must be, be true. They, <laughs> they said basically about something that was released in women during kissing, which is quite specific for women, and that basically deep, passionate kissing is like basically for all women, just incredibly arousing. Um, huh. And it's usually something that I, I'm sure you, you'd have experience with talking to clients. Like it, it tends to be one of the things that goes quite quickly in a relationship once you've been together for a while. Yeah, and I ask them like, how often do you kiss? And they're like, oh, we kiss all the time. And I'm like, well, how do you kiss? And they'll show me like a little like, heck. Ugh. Yeah, and, and you're I'm doing like, that. But how often do you make out like horizontal or whatever, yeah. tongue kissing, like... If, and you're not tongue kissing, you're just giving each other a peck like you would give your grandmother, but then you're expecting the other person to be aroused when you're putting your pe- their penis in, you know, yeah. their vagina. So it's like oh, there's no there's no warm-up to that whatsoever. I love kissing. I, I mean, for me, my biggest turn-on would have to be kissing hands down. I'm into all sorts of different, you know, sex things, but I, I could just kiss for like an hour Oh, my God, I'm like happy. getting a little bit turned on. I'm like licking my own lips. I'm like, like a really good, like, yeah. deep, passionate kiss, like really yeah. sensual. Yeah, where they yeah. put their hand like behind, like oh, under yeah. your chin yes. and behind your, the nape of your oh, neck. Oh, I'm like, take me now, panties are <laughs> off, let's like go. This is like the most innocent conversation we've had about sexual acts, I feel. Just like, oh, <laughs> kissing. Yeah. Hold my hand. It is, because it does. It takes you almost back to that kind of teenage like rush and it is. When it's, it's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting and it, and like, it is. And is there going to be more? I don't know. In some ways, it's more intimate than, you know, sex sometimes becomes almost like a business exchange if it's just penetration, penis in vagina, in and out, and then it's done. And I think that is how a lot of young people are learning about sex because sex ed doesn't prepare them. Then they're watching porn, and that is essentially Mm -hmm. what porn is. Um, Then it is becoming like a business exchange, and it is reinforcing that idea for women that, okay, so this is something that I give to a guy, and then in return I get commitment or I get attention or whatever it is. So speaking of learning and and teaching about sex, I think um, you've said a couple times, like I'm not a, you know, sex therapist, I'm not a sexologist. (laughs) And, you know, Simone doesn't label herself as that either. And and I mean, it's more than not label. I like literally do not have the qualifications for that. Yeah. And so I'm, um, I'm curious what you think the upsides of that are, because I, I would love for everyone to have the education and the knowledge and do the work that you two do and not that you need to have letters behind your name. Like, granted, 
I do because I'm a therapist, but I also like, I think it's disempowering to be like, well, you have to go to an expert to know this. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm always really conscious of saying it whenever I'm in an interview or anything because I never want uh, anyone to think that, you know, I'm trying to replace the position of someone that does have the level of expertise and experience and whatnot that you do and I never, I never would want uh, to do that. But I think probably my X factor in terms of what I do in my role is that I am a bit of a relatable kind of every woman, I guess you could say. And I sort of think of myself and the reason I jokingly called myself an Instagram sexfluencer in one of my articles and it, it, it kind of stuck and so now I use the term is because I was I was talking about beauty influencers and how, you know, we watch the beauty influencers. Most of them, they don't have any experience whatsoever in makeup. They've never done any kind of course in it, nothing. Um, but one of those girls will put on a lipstick in a video and that lipstick will sell out within hours because not because she's an expert, but because she seems like a real woman that we could actually go for like a drink with. Like we feel Mm -hmm. she is someone we could trust. And I think- And she likes playing around with makeup. We like talking about sex. We like doing sex. So why don't we talk about it? Yeah. and, And so it's about approachability. And I think the problem is, and like you're obviously quite- quite different from that in that you are very um, approachable and you speak in a really non-intimidating way about sex. But I think most people's experience is that people that have any sort of clinical training um, in sex tend to come across as quite intimidating and they still potentially unintentionally medicalise sex. And so even though they're communicating all this great knowledge we, we just don't feel connected. Like we don't feel connected to a top makeup expert, you know, telling us all these details, but we feel so connected like to, to do that. yeah, but we feel connected to a beauty blogger because she's a girl in her bedroom putting on lipstick that we could see ourselves right. hanging out with. And so that's how I like to think of myself in the sex kind of positive community is that's my role is just to be like just another every woman kind of voice that people can relate to. And I'm very conscious of, you know, one of the main things I do is just talking about my own sex life and my own sexual experiences. And I'm really conscious of highlighting the fact that sometimes I fart in bed, sometimes I can't achieve an orgasm, like whatever it is, you know, all the different things that have happened, you know, how I was really, you know, embarrassed about how my asshole looked the first time I had anal and like all these different things. <laughs> yeah. Because women can, like you guys are having a giggle now and you're like, oh, I can sort of relate to that. And oh then, my God, I can 100% relate. And then people will actually open up to me and they will come to me as though I'm a therapist and I have to actually remind them, look, if you want to talk to someone professionally, you, you would need to speak to a therapist, but I think we don't have a lot of relatable voices in, you know, when we're talking about sex. So I think... Yeah, and and, and in the sex therapist role specifically, you're like taught to not disclose a lot of your personal stuff. Exactly. So you know, obviously I say fuck that a little bit on the podcast and I'm more open than I maybe would be with a client, but I, it's a tough balance because you want to be relatable. You want to be like, yes, this happens. This is a thing. Yeah. But you also don't want to make it about you and you don't want to make it... Um, appropriate or unethical or or just because there is a stigma of talking about it yeah maybe it will change more as the as the field develops but I think there's space for educators coaches therapists lay lay people like just anybody you know yeah I mean you're still a real person at the end of the day with your own sex life and your own sexual experiences and that you know whether you want it to or not is part of the wealth of 
knowledge and experience that you bring on oh, top absolutely. of all of your training. Absolutely. 100%. Or at least it should be. <laughs> oh, this has been such a good conversation. I, we haven't even gotten into like the fucked up shit people say to you on Instagram, but maybe we'll save that <laughs> for another time. Um, Nadia, I'm sure all of our listeners are like dying to see all your sex wins or stuff. So where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Nadia Bokhari and uh, I N-A-D-I-A-B-O-K-O-D-Y. also- N-A-D-I-A-B-O-K-O-D-Y. Yes, that's the one. And uh, I also run a website, she said.com. It's got my columns on there, but it also has a whole different variety of women's voices. And we talk about sex and bodies and mental health and just all the things mm. that affect women from an actual, just real everyday perspective. So fucking good. Uh, your your name, Nadia Bakhati, I keep thinking Nadia Sexy Body, which I know is like... <laughs> Love it. I just like keep thinking that. <laughs> just wanted to share. Well, I'll have to, maybe I'll have to rebrand and call myself that. <laughs> I mean, you, you are like extremely gorgeous. So oh, thank on you. that note, if you want to stay up to date with all we're doing on the internet, you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and by email at Sluts and scholars at gmail.com. 